welcome back everybody to another episode of the Overdue Rentals Podcast, the show where we talk about films that maybe just never got enough attention when they first came out. Maybe they were big award winners, maybe they were box office blasts, but nobody seems to talk about them as much anymore. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blends Mike Reyes. And tonight, um, I am glad to be introducing our guest because... As we'll probably mention at some point tonight, we have a really interesting story about how we met and became friends. Uh, but we have writer, producer, director, impresario, uh, just general all-around good guy, Luke Momo. Luke, I'm pronouncing this correct, right? Correct. Okay, Luke Momo. Luke, how are you? I really should have asked that before the show. Oh, I'm doing well. Um, thank you so much, Mike, for that introduction. I really appreciate it. Um, you can frame it if you want. Uh, yeah, I, I will. Um, I, I'm doing very well. Uh, I'm uh, close to, uh, we're releasing my newest film tomorrow, actually. It's going to be on Vimeo. So I just have that excitement of releasing a film right now. So I got that aura. Now, what's more exciting to you? Is it is it the the making of the product or is it the, the, the releasing it into the world? Probably making it, yeah. <laughs> making it. Very nice. And, you know, especially with something like uh, one of the two things we're going to talk about this evening, The Stamp Collector, uh, I can see why you're excited to be releasing this, both not only because of who you have in the film, but also this is just a lot packed into nine minutes, and I mean that in a good way. Like, it's just very sort of in the middle of everything. And first of all, you start off with this title card based on the thought experiment. So can you go over... The, the the stamp collector thought experiment a little more for the folks at home. Yes. So um, Elon Musk tweeted out a version of it uh, in mid 2020. Um, he called it strawberry fields forever. Uh, what it meant is, you know, you teach an AI how to cultivate a strawberry field. And in order to, what it'll eventually do is fully optimize its programming goals. And then, you know, there'll be strawberry fields forever. It's like, you know, a tweet has to be what 120 characters. So he, if you look up that tweet of his, he can, he tried to condense um, the theory. What the theory says is you have um, a computer programmer who programs a, uh, who gives it a heuristic concept, an AI a heuristic concept to go and collect stamps. And, uh, you know, on the first day he leaves and comes back and sees that the AI went and traded, you know, simple currencies to acquire a couple stamps, uh, you know, went to the post office, this, that, and the other. And then he, you know, comes back after, you know, a week or two weeks and, you know, the AI turned the whole planet into a stamp factory and humans became the raw material because we're great for, uh, you know, there's so many of us and we, you know, all the humans are now, uh, you know, becoming stamps kind of thing. It's just following its programming. So you get these strange um, conclusions from something that's given such a simple program. And that's kind of what um, we were going for. In this case, he gave a, the robot the program, or the, the concept is to help him commit crimes. And ironically, it ends up committing a crime on him kind of thing. Well, that's that's the, that's the interesting thing, though. When you approach this, was it like, I just really, you know, I love that idea of, of the stamp collector, and I want to build around it. Or did you have the idea for another story just happened, and you noticed it fit in with that, and that's how you ended up creating it? You know... In this particular case, it was um, it was that thought experiment probably um, that kind of gave it, it it's a shape. We actually we wrote a whole feature for that, and like there's a feature length journey 
that you could read that has to do with that theory. Um, and then we, we also did another one. You can look this one up. It evolved into, it's called Basilisk. And there's this thing called the Rocco's Basilisk. Oops, sorry about that. And um, it uh, is another thought experiment that has to do with like simulation theory and like this sort of, um, sort of like Pascal's wager version of how a um, ethically optimizing AI superintelligence far in the future would be ethically um, responsible to create time travel uh, technology, travel back in time, and turn the world into an ethically optimized experiment in a way so that there's no suffering and pain in the world. So that was a mm -hmm. whole other thought experiment that we wrote a whole feature film about and tried to get made and so forth and still you know, trying to get these films made. <laughs> I want to see both of these made, especially because yeah. that was that was something that I was going to ask about Stamp Collector, just because it feel it is very much a standalone experience, but it feels like there was a lot of room for stuff that happened before, stuff that'll happen after, yeah, just, all, just sort of all these tendrils sort of crawling out of this thing. Yeah, we we had a, a version that I came, we came up with David actually the the actor David Alvarez who plays it, and it, it was like. It becomes like this apocalypse now thing where the ex character he you know goes to a distant nation and kind of creates his own kind of like colonel kurtz like compound and <laughs> his own ai sort of uh you know sort of fiefdom or whatever you want to call it and the character because he created this ai that took this evolutionary leap in intelligence he kind of has this strange relationship and he can relate to it and go and visit him so we, we had a bunch of, we, we have a lot of fun, different ideas of where it could go. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. People start writing your checks, please. I need to see them. <laughs> I'm going to be very selfish on this. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Thank you. But hey, they got AI made and AI, AI had a lot of, I was reading about before getting on here. I don't want to transition too soon, but like, I don't know if you guys ever heard that like Stanley Kubrick sent helicopter teams to the North Sea to shoot, um, test footage of what he wanted to do with using CGI to get these um, oil derricks, the oil derricks that are in the North Sea. I was doing, I was Googling up what these looked like. He was doing the um, imagery of New York underwater. He was trying to get those shots and stuff, I guess in the nineties kind of thing before even principal photography. He was obviously never even alive. I don't think when they shot this movie at all. Um, so anyways, it's just, there, there's so much stuff to AI. I'd love to talk to you guys about it. I know you, I know you guys want to talk about it on the call. I, well, yeah, I mean, we, we were going to get to it eventually, but, you know, obviously here at Overdue Rentals, uh, we do also like to plug the here and the now with our guests, as well as, you know, and a film that definitely deserves love. And uh, if I remember correctly, this is one of my picks from the list. And I think I, I'm, I'm really glad you chose this for the sheer fact that we are in the 20th anniversary year of AI and I've been a fan of this film since day one. And I was trying to figure out what to do in terms of trying to celebrate it because I, I just had this amazing experience going to see this film just based on the trailers and the commercials back in 2001. And then Looking back at it today, I I, th I think I kind of found more angles and more depth to it than was already there, and it's a really deep film. But uh, Matthew, yes. Well, I, I don't I don't mean to 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 veer away the discussion already as you're just starting it, 
but and I apologize because we'll definitely get into it. And there was a great intro that you just threw in there, but your original intro also promised to tell us how you met Luke, and I didn't hear how you met Luke oh, yet. Oh. I don't want to get into this whole discussion about AI and miss that story. Oh, this is a good. Well, see, this is really interesting because of the film that's been picked today, seeing as a Steven Spielberg film. So I was assigned to go see Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Like I was assigned to go first press screening. It was right before the embargo lifted. So they wanted me to write the review. It's like, yes, awesome, sold. So then I go, it's over at Lincoln Square and, you know, settled into the IMAX theater, getting ready for this. You know, they have some sort of music and like title card up for, you know, pre-screening stuff. This was, you know, Pre, uh, pre-plague, as everyone can know, this is about 2018, oh, I believe. Oh, Jesus. Well, come on, man. It's very pre-plague. <laughs> it was pre-plague. <laughs> so then I forget what drew my attention to these gentlemen, but Luke was one of three people that I saw. There was also uh, Anthony and Tim. They're a group of these three guys that sounded pretty cool. I just started conversation with them. And next thing I know, we're all following each other on Instagram. And, <laughs> you know, these guys are also, you know, either in the industry or filmmakers. Uh, I think Anthony's an accountant for, Anthony, for, he yeah, just for Paramount, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I, I had to have been there too somewhere. I just didn't see you guys. You might, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? We we were all drawn together by by Steven Spielberg. Well, by Steven Spielberg. By, Bayona. 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 Yes, by, well, mo- mostly by Bayona, but also, right. by extension, Steven Spielberg. But, yeah, mostly, you know, J.A. Bayona's fantastic film. I will fight anyone about this. I don't care. And he shot that in 239 by 1, which is the first Jurassic Park in 239. And that's such a challenge because you need the tall aspect ratio to shoot a dinosaur, right? Like, you need... Yeah. It's so interesting that that movie's widescreen the way it is and that he is able to actually make that coherent. Um yeah, and then to look that good in an IMAX screen too, especially just because you can uh, you can love with a lot of these movies that are being sent to IMAX. Here's a small rant before we get back to reality. A lot of these movies that are saying optimized for IMAX. If I'm not mistaken, the optimization is you're filming with a digital camera. You get this much image, and they show you this much on a regular screen. But it's like, wait a minute, we're going to expand to what we got in the camera, and ta-da. Like Correct. I talked to, I actually talked to Lena Sundgren about this for, for no time to die. And he said, yeah, you know, I, I, people can kind of get immersed in the screen, but I don't, I think he said like storytelling wise, it really doesn't do that much. It's just more of an immersion thing. Yeah. That's the darn truth. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for, for filling me in on that. Now, Michael, please continue on your AI. So anyway, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, uh, <laughs> so yeah um quick history lesson to some out there who i I don't know how young our audience is but uh ai was released in june 2001 but that was probably the end goal of a 30 year process because stanley kubrick wanted to do this in the late 70s he he saw he read this story super toys last all summer i believe that is super last all summer long from Brian Aldiss. And then they started developing the script. Uh, a lot of different ins and outs happened between the 70s and 80s. Uh, he actually fires Brian Aldiss and hires his nemesis, Ian Watson, who gets screen story credit. Uh, he Kubrick wanted to build actual robots and use CGI for this movie. 
then Steven Spielberg is in the 85 he approaches steven spielberg and is like look this is your bag i want you to make this and steven spielberg's like no 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 come on you gotta make this you're stanley kubrick and you know who could fault the man for saying that kubrick still keeps this dream alive up until his death in 99 and mm-hmm. i was surprised to learn that once jurassic park was made kubrick's like okay that is the cg we need for this and then joseph Mazzello from jurassic park screen tested for this role Right, I read that too. And then, unfortunately, the huge uh, impetus to get this film made was Stanley Kubrick's untimely death in 1999 while filming Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, His widow and his producing partner approached Steven Spielberg again to do the film. And not only did Steven Spielberg finish production on Eyes Wide Shut, if I remember correctly, and the internet will probably tell me that I didn't. uh, He then went on to have his first solo writing credit since Close Encounters and fulfilled this vision i mean fulfilled in in certain aspects i would say right i mean he changed what kubrick wanted to do ultimately right i mean mean, again everybody knows that at this point we're we're, we're, we're gonna you're gonna hear spoilers if you haven't seen anything (sighs) but you know kubrick wanted it to end with him throwing himself off the cliff and that was the movie was going to end now, if I'm not mistaken, the end of the movie actually is Kubrick's. Like, he's gone on record as saying the end end actually is Stanley Kubrick's. Yeah. I, I, I remember, I mean, it's been a while, but I remember hearing different. I remember reading different. I think the world kind of wants to believe that because that does really feel like the Stanley Kubrick sort of ending where it's like just jump and, you know, life is, <laughs> the, the, the world well, is it- indifferent. It's much more, it'd be something that's more ambiguous too, because you don't know what could happen, you know, survive or not. Yeah, here Um, we are. Uh, Spielberg said, the final 20 minutes are pretty close to what I wrote for Stanley and what Stanley wanted, faithfully filmed by Spielberg without adding added schmaltz. And that was Ian Watson saying that. I still, yeah, but it's one of those cases where I still don't believe it. You know, personally, I don't believe it. Because again, you know, obviously they're two different filmmakers, Kubrick and, and Spielberg. And when you when you when you watch AI, you feel like you're watching a Spielberg movie. I don't feel any essence of Kubrick in there whatsoever. Mm, I would I would disagree. Yeah, I disagree I, as well. I, I would. Yeah, I disagree. With, disagree I disagree with all of you. That's <laughs> fine. That's you know we're we're allowed to disagree on this show. We're allowed to to swear and curse and throw things at each other. That's that's just part of the magic. But that's that's is that is also ultimately one of the cruxes to this film's legacy, because. I mean, it, it did well for itself. And this is, you know, this is pre-Marvel, pre-like billion dollar. I don't think movies really went to billion dollars at this point. Like this was still very much older sort of territory. Uh, 90 to 100 million on the budget. 235.9 on the worldwide gross. And what's really interesting about this is this film has unintentionally found itself in a very interesting historical era between its its theatrical and its home video release because unfortunately this was in 2001 and a couple short months after that 9-11 would happen and i know another one of my memories linked to this film is spielberg saying he wasn't going to take the towers out of the film because everybody was wondering if he was going to remove them digitally from the future manhattan landscape and Thinking about all of the themes of this film and what the world became, not only shortly after, but looking into what we've recently seen in the world, 
there is some stuff in here that has aged poorly in terms of humanity, but has aged well in times of prescience of just how horrible we are. Yeah. Oh my God. There, you mentioned uh, Jan Harlan before he was the yes. partner. So he's actually Christian Kubrick's brother. I don't know if you ever got that, that the producing. Oh. Partner. Yeah. So Jan Harlan, the guy who worked with Kubrick on a lot of the movies was his, was Kubrick's wife's brother. And he recently did a talk and I'm going to send you guys the link in an email afterwards. I need to find it. And it's about how Kubrick was obsessed with Jungian ar archetypes and how, you know, he was always in these, these works, the last six works, everything after 1960, 1968 and on those last six Kubrick works where he spent 30 years making those kind of magnum, that series of those, you know, yeah. each masterpiece. Shining, full metal jacket. Yeah. They're just each each one is just a ten out of ten, you know, swing for the fences, no holds barred. That talk is amazing that Jan Harlan gives because he he gave it really recently, probably within the last three or so years, and he talks so extensively about what Kubrick's process was in that thirty years of just being, you know, completely devoted to this. I mean, it really is a kind of which you know, uh, sorcery magic kind of work. Um, and what you're saying about how prescient those images are. And um, it's reminding me of something I wanted to bring up on this. Um, one of the first movie memories I have is watching AI as a young child. I saw it. Hmm. And the image that sticks with me is something we already talked about where David jumps off the building. And that image, I saw that. Uh, I didn't see it in the theater. So by my assumption of what you're saying when it was out, it was definitely after 2001. And it was so provocative and so... Um, it's always seared in my mind, like, and the emotion that I felt, how sad I was, um, how powerful that image was for me. It's like, sort of like falling man when you look at, you know, the, that imagery of what happened on September 11th. Um, I don't know, that, that image is with me forever. Thank you. I mean, this, it, it's just really interesting because, first of all, you don't really think, oh, well, you know what? We're probably, we're putting so many carts before horses tonight. I'll just do a quick rundown for people that haven't seen the film because, well, you really should. But basically the story boils down to the not so distant future. Uh, robotics is a booming industry and we are starting to see the first ch robot children being designed, being built. And that is in the form of David played by Haley Joel Osment who is on loan to a, well, is basically given to a family of an employee for sort of a, a test run. And from that point on is an odyssey that is akin to Pinocchio through the lenses of Stanley Kubrick and Steven Spielberg, because Stanley Kubrick very much wanted this to be a sort of Pinocchio story. And I wonder if that's part of what pissed Brian Aldis off because <laughs> like he hires Ian Watson and then g gave him a book of, the original Pinocchio and was like using that as a, a tract for this. But I, I, I really just want to, wanted to give that sort of baseline description of the film, because if anybody really does want to go watch it before we get too deep into this, and I promise you, we will get pretty deep into this uh, deep enough that we'll be buried in ice and aliens will have to thaw us out. Uh, it's on Paramount Plus right now to stream, and I did not know those were aliens originally. I thought those were other robots that were doing that. I I thought they. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things. I think that was a that was the, when it came out. That was the same. I think a lot of people weren't sure. I, I remember I remember there being a lot of talk and hubbub about the idea of people not knowing what, really what was 
going on at that point. Yeah. But then again, that's that that was just sort of a it's an ambiguity that you can't really write off in either direction because it just worked. It's like, okay, these beings exist in the future and they're clearly, you know, doing their work and you know, it's it's something that you could debate if you really want. But I again, I was thrown when I first saw the trailers for this and the first one the first one specifically isn't very actiony. It's not. It's like basically this was when you could get away with teasers where it was a bunch of text where it's like David is 130 pounds, he's 4 foot whatever, blah 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 blah. He's not real but his love is. And then it was just this basic concept trailer that set up who David was. And that's all you really needed to go into AI. And again, jumping back to Jurassic Park, this reminds me of the teaser where it was just the microscope. And then they're talking about this dig and they found this ember. And then it's just, you zoom in on this microscope, you go into the lens, it's it's uh, magnifying on this mosquito. And then just as it gets to the end, it's bright as hell. There's like a, an elephant roar and then the logo comes at you. And then you get to, it, it's like the tonal, the, the polar opposite of that is what AI sold itself on originally because it was like the, the fingerprint and then zoom in on the, the micro sort of, the microcosm of that circuitry. And then it was AI, the logo where it's like the kid stepping out of the eye. And for what this film ultimately was, and even ultimately what the commercials would show later on, they would show the more fantastical stuff. They'd show off Jude Law. You know, you kind of have to in 2001. It's like Jude Law's in your movie. Why aren't you showing him? And or, or what, what there is of him, Yeah, technically. But uh, just showing that off later on, it, it still worked. But I just love the simplicity of that that original thing. And then the concept just sort of roots itself in your mind. And I remember my dad taking me to see this. Cause I, cause uh, you know, we just went to the movies a lot. Like my dad, we would just do that on weekends. There was like a couple of years where my brothers, my father and I would go every weekend and it was so much fun, but yeah, we were, we would go and discuss these things. And I just remember walking out of that film being amazed growing up with Steven Spielberg being the guy that made ET and Jurassic park. And it's like, he's coming off of lost world and Amistad at this point. And then goes and saving private Ryan and then does this. <laughs> this and this almost feels like an amazing, it almost feels like an important fulcrum for his career because it's this crossroads between nostalgia and futurism or maybe like sort of heartwarming nostalgia and futurism because yeah. ultimately to a certain point, nostalgia does play a role in this film. And going into the 21st century, it's literally yeah. made in 2001, which is, you know, I always thought that was interesting that the year it came out is, you know, 2001. <laughs> <laughs> that, year, that year that Kubrick ingrained in our minds is like the future. Right, right, like right. For so many years, anything like you want to make something sound futuristic, you slap a 2000 at the end or a 2001. And like now it's like eventually they caught wise and started doing 3000. Okay, fine. You cheated. You didn't come up with something exciting, but oh, like now it's plus. Now it's like, if you want something to be futuristic and hit, put a plus at the end. I don't know if that's the futuristic part anymore. The plus, I think the plus is just, Fair. you don't know what else to do when everybody's doing it. So let's just go with it. Fair. 
But you know, I'm 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 very much rambling on about this. So you know, well, I I, I was reading rereading about the film, and um, I, I thought something that was so interesting was the idea that when Christian Harlan and uh, or sorry, Christian Kubrick and Jan Harlan came to Spielberg and asked him to do the film, it's so funny how there was that backstory there of that relationship that Kubrick and Spielberg had had with that dedicated fax line. That dedicated fax line. There's an LA Times piece that I was reading today, and like it is Freudian. It is so good in terms of what could have been going on with that dedicated fax line. Oh, uh, uh, for those that don't know, Steven Spielberg and Stanley Kubrick had a dedicated fax line. I think it was basically to work this film out, and or maybe that was impelled them to do it, but they didn't just use it for. Apparently, there were 300 pages of material that came from that, but Spielberg's wife eventually. Because he, because Kubrick demanded that it was in Spielberg's bedroom, his wife eventually unplugged it. <laughs> like, no more, no more. Um, I, I this is one of the other story I want to tell though that I think is so interesting to this is that you can you can read about what that relationship was, but the fact that Spielberg made this film that tells you a lot about the relationship he ultimately had. Because no one would, right? He wouldn't put himself through the whole pressure of making it. He clearly had that nice relationship with, with Kubrick. What's so interesting about Spielberg's biography, and it was something I was reading up about, was how he tried to have a, a relationship with Hitchcock and how that went. Did you guys hear that story? No. About- I actually, I, 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 I know I've heard it, but I've forgotten. It is, it's funny. And the quote, I don't want to misquote it, but it's like Hitchcock, whatever, like, late seventies on, I remember, I remember now tell, tell it, but now I remember go for it. Sorry. The way I remember reading it when I, when I came across it, it's like Hitchcock's making, what is it? Like the family plot, like his yeah. last yeah. movie and Spielberg's like trying to sneak onto his set and, and talk to him maybe after. Cause late seventies Spielberg's already established and stuff. And he's doing night gallery and duel at that point. Right. It will enjoy 79, right? Yeah. But late I think family plot was what? 76. Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You need now, to. I, I, I'm almost positive now. My brain's function misfunctioned, but didn't Family Plot get actually released in 1980? I think it's 80. I think Hitch made it to the 80s, and then that. Was- yeah, I think I'm looking it up right now. 76. Um, 76. Okay. Yep. Okay. I'm really. Yeah, you're right. 76. So yeah, this so, is like around the time he's making Jaws, probably. Right. 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 Spielberg's kick up, and I think the line is, is like, who is that? Like you know, young Jewish boy on my sets kind of thing. And what is he doing here? <laughs> that sounds like Hitch. That's you know, it Hitch. <laughs> it definitely goes further than that too. Just somebody tells him who he is and he says, I can't remember what he says, but he says something along. It's like, tell him to come back. Tell him to come back when he, when he's somebody or something. Right, right. Probably that too. <laughs> also the same, this was also the same time that Steven Spielberg tried to make a James Bond movie twice. Oh, I haven't. I didn't even know he was trying to do that. He stuff. wanted to make a Bond movie so bad around the time that Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker were made. Interesting. I don't. Oh, this is all. What? What I find interesting about the whole thing, though, is, is that for people like us, whether or not, because again, you, you, you both love AI. I'm not that big of a fan, personally, of AI. To be honest with you. Oh man. I, I'm not personally. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying anything against Steven Spielberg. I'm not a big fan of Spielberg, honestly. I, I'm not saying I dislike his movies. Uh, but I'm not. I'm not one of the the. Um, the tr- I don't know what you want to call the it. Acolytes, I'm not, I'm not the one, people with taste. 
you're not, no, you're not a fan. You just, you're not I, a fan. I, I, I'm just not, I'm not, you know, like I, I, he obviously he knows what he's doing. He, he can be very, he can be very creative with tech, technical um, aspects of his movies that people aren't going to clomp on to a lot of times unless they're really paying attention. But the, especially with AI, like that glossy kind of nature to it, you know, f- that, that almost feels like it's not pressuring a friendly, friendly version of itself, but comes off that way. No, it's, it's a fairy tale. It's no, 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 but it's not even family, family friendly. I mean, the Francis O'Connor and Haley Joe Osment scene in the middle of that movie when she needs to abandon him in the woods. I'm, t- I'm powerful. I'm not talking about the story. I'm not talking about the story. I'm talking about the way it looks. Aesthetics. I'm just talking about the way it looks, which is oh, perfect great. because of its post. It's modern sort of fair. It's not even modern. postmodern. It's a fairy tale look. What like Philip Glass like album like put on? I don't know. Like in John Williams is doing Philip Glass kind of stuff in there. Like. The, the imagery, just the argument, sorry, Matthew, the argument, like, right. that the imagery doesn't get it for you, like, when there's that, you know, push down from the crane of their car coming into the woods in that scene, and there's that hate, like, just the imagery of that is, like, to me, you know, some perfect film images, kind of, I don't know. Yeah, and I, it's, it's just it's, our tastes are, what do you, what do you really dig? I'm really curious what your taste is. Well, to, to me, to me, I'm not talking about the image itself, I'm talking about the, the way, it's hard to explain, because I'm not talking, I'm not talking about, like, if you took a still image, and it was a beautiful image, but then you put it through Photoshop and After Effects and made it look a certain way. That's what that's what becomes distasteful to me. Uh, as, as, as Michael will tell you, my favorite film of all time is the 1986 British miniseries uh, *The Singing Detective*, followed by *Network*. Uh, as my second favorite oh, film of all time, uh, uh, no, *Network*. Oh, *Network*. <laughs> Future um, episode but, overdue rentals, viewers, listeners, whatever you call yourself. Oh, oh, Oh. But we're getting we're getting we're getting far off. But yes. the thing is, I wanted to go back because I was trying to make a point that we got far off of it now. Because what I was trying to say was is that general audiences, the the the, the people who paid money and made it made it a box of success, don't know about his relationship with Kubrick. Don't care about his relationship with Kubrick. They are there just to see the movie. So it's a very interesting dichotomy of having a film come out where. A lot of people will focus on that, but other people are just like, it's Steven Spielberg making this movie about a robot kid. And that's all it means to them. Yes. And I think the themes there of how it has to do with, you know, this, uh, how a person can actually truly kind of love how she can love David and how it interrogates how David himself, what does it mean to be a person of love or to, to be a being that loves I would argue, like, even though we've, you know, gone deep into the last 30 minutes, you know, all these, you know, total film snob points, I would argue that if we did try and have a concrete discussion about theme and character development, that it is a strong movie. It's a solid movie in that regard. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, I think it's off-putting for people. I would, I would argue, like, yeah, in terms of pop, mass popular appeal, um, it's, it doesn't have that stuff that... Yeah, no. Them. This isn't Raiders of the Lost Ark we're talking about here. Yeah. Or even on sort of a more historical, serious level, this isn't Schindler's List we're talking about where Steven Spielberg made this film that it was a massive success because it tackled a subject in history that needed to be dramatized in a certain way because right. Hollywood had kind of sanitized it to a certain point. And, and some of the stuff I was reading today was, I'd love to like try and find and pull these to send you guys an email, but like, it was strange stuff about like how, you know, just kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier of the imagery of New York underwater, Stanley Kubrick 
when you watch the theatrical version, it opens with the fact that climate change has happened. The science that people were starting to, you know, know about 30 years ago sort of concluded. And he had these like oddly prescient visions in this. And he, one of the things that I saw today, I think it was in that LA Times piece was how he sort of liked the idea of these artificial intelligences because they're almost like they're a more environmentally sustainable being who could be on earth compared to human beings. Um, probably due to also as a result of the fact they have more rationality than um, emotionality. But anyway, anyways, like the, some of the theme stuff, like it's just oddly, you know, it kind of talks to where I think the 21st century will still keep going and stuff. Um, but in strange ways, like, like how a Radiohead song deals with this stuff. Like it, it's odd. It's very oddball. The whole movie is bizarre. Well, it, well it's, but it's also odd as coming to, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not that much older than Michael, but you know, as being slightly older, having memories, you know, because the idea of it was always global warming and greenhouse gases, yeah. it was about the, the rip in the ozone layer was very much, my childhood growing up late 80s, mm. you know, early 90s, that was very prescient at the time. And it was always there. It just was, you know, just like now today where everybody can't like come up with a proper name for it that everybody understands. <laughs> um, you know, it, it still was a big talking point for a long time. Yeah, I mean, rightfully so. If it's we're talking about the you know extinction of our species here, it better be. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it really is kind of funny that we were recording this episode right now on the cusp of two different things. Steven Spielberg's releasing West Side Story, and we've got Don't Look Up coming on Netflix, which is another sort of parable for climate change. But Adam McKay just kind of transformed it into an asteroid movie. So it's just it's it's kind of those little wills of the universe sort of connecting into right. to what we're talking about today. Right. And ironically, in Spielberg's case. He does his work seemingly has no political or sociological correspondence. He's kind of delving back into 1950s New York. And from what I see of that movie, it looks almost like he's trying to blend the musical with, in my opinion, like some of the imagery and the way it's done looks like The Godfather, how The Godfather takes place in 50s New York. And they're talking yeah. about gangsters and family and, you know, the way it shows the group conflicts. So, so like Spielberg is, you know, not dealing with that at all. And then, like you're saying, Adam McKay. It's like this Dr. Strangelove kind of thing for the climate mm. change era. That's how I've seen critics putting it. So it's funny, right? How, like you're saying, the wills of the, I love that, how you're describing that. It's kind of strange. Like there's no rhyme or reason to how I guess people deal with these themes. Well, especially just looking at AI again, the, the thing that really stuck out to me, especially now was the flesh fair sequence. Because yeah, yeah. you know, there's just the the one scene where the girl's like, "There's a boy in a cage," and I'm thinking, "Oh, that doesn't remind me of anything that happened recently at all." And then you've got <laughs> Brendan Gleeson kind of playing a proto Trump before Trump in terms of his politics against people as Lord Johnson Johnson. Which, by the way, since this movie's taking place in Jersey, in Jersey, of course Johnson and Johnson is still big. <laughs> after climate change <laughs> of course that was gonna happen uh but then th there's just that line that sort of stuck with me where david is you know he's the babe in the woods he doesn't really understand what's going on and the one robot tells him history repeats itself it's the right of blood and electricity and just sort of that the more things change the more they stay the same sentiment and that's sort of the darker starker side of this film whereas the sort of more 
emotional core that I think I, I, I sort of, that I interpreted watching it this time is science fiction likes to look forward and see where we're going. And with AI, it's almost as if we're sort of looking at how we're going to be remembered. It's not so much looking at where we're going and what we're going to do. Uh, Luke, to your point, global warming's already happened. Humanity is still humanity, and we're still seeing injustices and indifference sort of waging war and sort of like being commonplace. But ultimately, through David, we're seeing how we're going to be remembered to a certain point, and it's because of his memories of his mother. But are you are you saying that is always the point has always been the point, or that that's how you see it now because of those situations we're in present day? I would think it's always been that point. It's just something that I saw in this viewing. Is basically it, it, it again? It's that crossroads between futurism and in this case personal nostalgia. And what's really interesting is you look at the next two films that Steven Spielberg makes after this. He does Minority Report and Catch Me If You Can for a 2002 doubleheader. And to a certain extent, that's that's right there. His futurism is in Minority Report. And the, nostal- the personal nostalgia and the personal feelings and family are very much in Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, no, there's so much going on with these like thematically and how we're, you're tying them across the work. It, it really is daunting to try and, you know, crack this without saying something so broad and, you know, um, because the, the myths and the architect kind of like what I'm saying, the things that they're tackling are so broad. Um, it's hard not to say something and just sound kind of, you know, spe- completely speculative or, um, but I loved what you said about the relationship with the mother, because that to me, um, I really like the scene where, um, they go to, there's like a church in the, um, in the, in the pleasure, the city of pleasure. And I, I always thought that scene was really interesting. Oh so, yeah. Where Jude Law's sort of monologue where it's like the ones that made us look for the ones that made them. So they go in there, get on their knees, clap their hands and sing silly songs. And then they come out and they find me. Right, yeah, right, that right. Was, that's a little too much on the nose for me. That's again, that's the kind of stuff that like, <laughs> well, I think like, the that just pushes me away a little bit. That was something that felt Kubrickian to me, to be honest. Well, there's a lot to that, though, too, because he's searching for the Blue Fairy, the whole film, and, you know, Mother Mary looks like the Blue Fairy, Mother Mary, Blue Fairy, you know, she's blue in that, and there's a lot of imagery of, and and discussion of the whole, um, so many, you know, um, so much of that stuff. Um, yeah, like sort of the personal religion and po- uh, it really is. You know, beliefs. I have the 2001 um, Laserdisc. It's the only Laserdisc I own. And <laughs> on it, they wrote that like 2001 in 1968 is like the, um, it's like the great religious painting in the Middle Ages. It's this way, it really is this, when I'm saying this word, it's myth, archetype, you know, religion. It's a way you can understand metaphysically your world. And, and that to me is, I think, what's in that kind of stuff that's in 2001. I feel that a lot in AI and in particular, what we were saying about how it deals with um, those very, very um, profound relationships that you have as a human being um, yep. in a kind of secular postmodern way. But again, just like you're saying, you know, in, in, well, not even just in watching 2001, it's it's much more of an exploratory adventure for yourself. And it's just something that you're going to unfold for yourself, even if somebody else is giving you a hint or before you saw it or while you're seeing it, after you saw it. 
right. it, it's it's much more of a broad experience compared to, and I'm just talking about since you just spoke about the scene originally, Mike, just that small little you know snippet of a monologue, which is just like I'm telling you out here, hey audience, here you go. It just it's it's a little too much. Let me feed you by hand. But he doesn't represent the views of um, Joe, I think is his character's yeah, name. He Joe. He's not the filmmaker. He's not the voice no. of the film. He's a, he's a commentary on what's going on, what the events are. He's a viewpoint. He's yeah, a, no, but it's just, it's just uh, true. And I, I, mean, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't paint it as he's trying to give you that message. But just the fact that it is so kind of, front face and in your and in your face it are the kind of those just the little things that always kind of nip at me a little bit when i'm watching something but that's see, all I, 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 I know that. exactly what you're talking about but i don't think this operates like that where it's like you have these legacy sequels that make the lazy joke they should have never remade that the original is always better like I, like that's the sort of I, I i get kind of what you're saying is, is that kind of an example of what you're trying to point at sort of well, no, not because I'm not trying. I'm not trying to connect the two specifically. I'm just talking about the the gesture in 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 general. What's the line? I actually miss. So Jude Law, what, what does he say again? He says something. I'm just paraphrasing, but akin to the the ones that made us are looking for the ones that made them. So they go in there, they get on their knees, they clap their hands, they sing their silly songs, and then they come out and they find me. Right. Because and he's he talking about humanity's that, search for religion. What does that mean? What does that mean hmm. to you, Matthew? Well, no, he's just he's he's just giving an explanation of what he's he's giving his uh, his sarcastic, witty example of what people do to go to church because they're trying to find God. So those who tried to find the ones who made them, like the like we're trying to find the ones who made us, it's just it's just a little too hammy. But what about the idea that David's whole quest throughout the film is this is this quest? He's looking for no, trans, the- uh, oh, what is it? Trans not transfiguration. Transfiguration. Basically, becoming from inanimate to animate, like he's trying to become the the real boy. It's almost like the yeah. transubstantiation. There we go. I just, I just, I just don't like being force fed things, even if I know it before even somebody says it. I don't even I feel just, like it's a force feeding. It's just a one, two, three moment. It feels like a force feeding. I'm, I'm saying to me that's what it feels like. Anyway, this movie I mean, almost I know had Xbox agreed, games. Sorry. Yeah, there we go. I know how to wrangle a crowd. Uh, this movie. Almost had Xbox games. There were, I think, three to five. I think it was three or five games. One of them was like a fighting game. I think one was like a first-person shooter. There were several Xbox games that were canceled for this movie. Oh, man. Because they canceled the merchandising line. (laughs) Of course they did. Not before... They they Not before they made one of the two Holy Grails that I am still seeking from this film. Uh, They made a limited run of keychain... And full size super toy teddies. Uh, teddy. That talk. They squeeze oh. it and it talks. <laughs> it has its lines where it's like, I'm not a toy. I will break it. I love it. That's such a good question. <laughs> did they just like repurpose Teddy Ruxpin and then just like took out no, the original cassette part no, of it? They, and... they, it was a, just a, a normal stuffed bear. And it was, it, well, the stuffed bear that looked just like Teddy. Yeah. And they went and it just had the, a voice box in it. And they made a, a limited run of them and just stopped. But this movie was that's that's one of two things that I am dying to get my hands on. The other is a book that was released in two thousand nine, uh, AI artificial intelligence from Stanley Kubrick to Steven Spielberg. Uh, so cut off the title here. 
Yeah, from Stanley Kubrick to Steven Spielberg. Uh, you will find it anywhere from like one fifty to a thousand dollars at this point. Oh, it's wow. one of those art books that has like the photos, the notes, like all this stuff. Like oh, I want to dive into the archives of this movie. Storyboards. Kubrick had in storyboard so many hundreds of storyboards. Yeah, I I just want to I just want to dive into the archives of this movie and look at the development because of how long it went and oh, the, yeah. what it became. But this movie also made history in the sense that. I think this was the first major alternate reality game for a film because back in 2001, they had a whole internet mystery play out. I think it was called the beast and they have it all archived on one website now, but that first teaser had a special credit that was then later replicated in the film's credits. It was a machine therapist, Dr. Janine Sala weird this was supposed to be a clue for people to go online google her name and then there was this whole sprawling <laughs> web of websites that told this story that takes I, place I, I, missed think that that I. I missed that marketing so much i want to do I, that for some of my movies coming up i don't know why studios don't do that anymore. i you I, know it's it's just like they used to give you wallpapers on the websites but they don't do that anymore I well actually before I say this though mike just so you know on ebay you can get one of the teddy toys for 310 dollars uh, <laughs> Oh, um, I know. But I wish no again, I know I know Mike you were definitely around for this, but I don't know how I don't remember how old you were at this point because for as much as the history of the Blair Witch project is for people who, you know, know about it, I was one of those people because I was I was freshman in college when that came out mm. and I remember very vividly the website yep. for that goddamn movie. Yeah. Because the website for that movie sold it so well it's like oh they 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 happened to find these recordings buried under a cabin that had been there for a hundred years and there was no hole in the floor so how'd they get the tape how to get buried under there and they found the tapes and they made and that it, documentary it like, that sold it so well the most insane thing in the entire world the the marketing campaign for that movie because i know people read about it and i know people hear about it but if yeah. when you were there to live it it, it's that was the most insane there. thing in the entire yeah. world all this stuff it's so experiential and it's all about having been there it's so true. I completely missed that. I saw it, you know, on a bad DVD. You know, it, it just didn't have the same context at all. Um, I imagine anybody, even even if they don't know the stories, just don't know what it is. Somebody pops that on nowadays, and they had seen other things in the world. It's not going to mean yeah a it's fart a to them. You know, <laughs> I don't know why a fart was what I chose what chose to, but <laughs> yeah. So what happened with those games was there were three games: uh, AI Chaser, AI guardian and ai the circuit there were two fighting games and like an action adventure game they were allegedly supposed to be interactive ai sequels but they were canceled and no once again there's a steven spielberg video game that sounds so cool that's supposed to break the boundaries and gets canceled because that also happened with his ea games project where he was basically uh, i think the code name was lmno and it was like this alien well, yeah, but that you, was he, you were accompanying, and it's like you could play this game so many different times, and it would change only so much. But there was a lot did that of have a beta potential. At all? The, all they did was they had a uh, a te- like a, a concert video, and that was it. Yeah, okay. filmmakers. I remember, I remember hearing about that. There's yeah. always associations with their with with video games. They brush up into that, like um, yeah, there's a, a you can find when Inception came out, where Christopher Nolan mentioned how he wanted to try and do or work with inception to try and get that into a video game and i remember you know reading that 10 years ago and i was like oh man that's going to be great and then you know it never comes out kind of thing so anyways <laughs> it just really no is amazing like 
between world events, societal events, and then just Steven Spielberg's career in general, AI is this film that still resonates and it feels like that stake in the ground, that sort of point where, you know, from this point on, things are going to be different. And considering everything that it did, it, it really is sad that, you know, it, it did well enough, but it wasn't as well. It's like mid-tier Spielberg because it's not, you know, it's not Jurassic Park, but it's no, not Ready no. Player One. But it's not Ready Player One. I'm sorry. Ready Player One was just... I, can't, I was thinking about Ready Player One recently and how I... I didn't like it. That felt like a no, mercenary no, job that he did. Like he was given a job. I really did didn't like the sequence in that too. Like I would be interested to hear him defend that sequence. Which sequence? The, the, the shining the sequence from that. The send up to the Overlook Hotel. Oh yeah. Well, that was one of the things I found interesting, especially because of just the 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 point of the book. Although they, all, I, I think he wasn't going to do any of his own films. And I forget why he didn't do war games, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. The iron giant as a weapon. The iron giant's not supposed to be a weapon. The Chucky gag is the one thing I give that movie because it's one of the best usages of the fuck in a PG 13 movie. I honestly don't even remember the reference. I don't even remember. I, it's yeah. a, a Chucky doll from child's play is like an explosive the, device. The Akira bike, the Akira uh, bike is, in, is in ready player one. True. What, what isn't in ready player one that isn't a part of our pop culture iconography. Things that are probably more popular with people who actually game for a living like all yeah i think they had maybe they had one mech warrior in there but like all this anime stuff that is actually much more popular with with the with the game with the gaming world was not in there yeah all the stuff that was like in the book it's like no nah, we're just gonna reskin it to like battletoads and overwatch and king kong <laughs> yeah, and there's an, over, there's an overwatch character right yeah and now it's at the point where it's like mm, because of ready player one is that why we got space jam a new legacy is that why What's no, really- no, no, no. That was just because people are somehow in love with Space Jam and try to tell themselves it's not a bad movie when it is. Yeah. And also I HBO Max needed a commercial. The point of causality is, is really the 2012 Avengers film. The idea that, you know, all the mark, you know, you could get all the executives in the room yeah. and say, let's try and get all these things into one movie. And what can you do when you have this, 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 and this? Oh, I think yeah. that's the temptation. Cinematic that- universes, like one right. hit, hit with Marvel. Everyone right. wants that cinematic universe. Give us that dark. <laughs> give us that dark universe. Give us that. Uh, some other ones. Really Turn them on. Oh, Shoot them up. <laughs> dark universe is the one that I'm sad never got off the ground because I wanted. Yeah. I did want more of that, despite the fact that my, the mummy was. <laughs> but anyway, um, back to AI. Just uh, I, well, it's, it's, you're right. The landscape is so different when this came out. Like AI is no way they would finance and, and make. A film like this. This is all. a Netflix movie right now. Probably. This is a Netflix movie, or maybe even it's either you get the Netflix version where they do spend the money and it goes streaming, maybe limited theatrical, right. or right. it's a very indie film. Right, that's made totally for like fifteen yeah, million. Yeah, or five right. million. Yeah, it's it's funny how it's all. Changed. I don't I don't know. I I mean, it's hard to say. You know, especially since the idea of artificial intelligence is much more prescient today. You know, if if things like iRobot didn't bomb, you know, it may it may have started well critically bomb. Having made an AI film recently, I I saw Godzilla vs Kong this year, and they tried to do you know a a very pat you know 
um, simplistic version of art, you know, the dangers of artificial intelligence in there with the, with the villain. I was kind of disappointed. Like, I really think that was just fun. Well, Mega, Mega Godzilla is canon from the old Godzilla movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I just didn't like how they handled like the human characters around. I wasn't a big fan of, of, Godzilla vs Kong. I apologize. I actually no. Like I'm not. The, I'm not. I'm not that big of a fan either. I mean, yeah. I actually. So a lot of people. The, the first Godzilla one they that came back with with um was it Gareth Edwards who made it? Yeah. Again, yeah. The human story I don't care about. But even though there were just blips, all the monster footage in that movie was out of this. I loved it. Absolutely was yeah. With loved that, it, they things. went for the. They were trying to keep it, you know, close to the chest and like Jaws or Alien and yeah. Well, he did, he did monsters, and that's the way they tried to do that one. And then the tone went all over the place when they kept making these different sequels and different directors yeah. and different. Um, so by the time it got to Godzilla vs Kong, you're totally right. Like it really is supposed to be fun, and I was kind of reminded yeah. of this video game we had of King Kong and Godzilla when we were kids. Like you know, go were the Tokyo. monsters. Yeah, what was that called? War of the Monsters? Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah, I was, love that. Yeah, it was yeah. like the off-brand like kaiju that are fighting each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. You know, grab a you grab a ship and hit hit yep. each other in the head kind oh. of thing. It is I agree, it is fun in that way. I guess like just as I get older, it's it's harder for me to have fun watching these movies. I, I, see, I, I, I was I grew up with Rampage. And then they made that movie. Yeah. And the best thing about Rampage perfect. was Jeffrey Dean Morgan basically chewing scenery. And it's like, you know what? This movie dopey, but I really like you, sir. I don't even care about the movie. I just, I just, lo- I just miss the game. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I would be really interested to just see what those games would have, the games for AI would have been like. But again, I can see why they kind of canceled them because of the fact that the tone of this movie doesn't exactly scream merchandising bonanza. <laughs> and speaking of more alternate history. Do you know who was originally supposed to be, or who they were originally considering for the comedian bot that gets shot out of the cannon? The Chris Rock character. All right, wait. I got to take a guess, right? Yes. Okay. Put yourself back into 1999. Think of some some comedians that are that are real hot at that point. Dane Cook. No. Too early. Too early? No, he was he was popular then. I think he was more popular in the early aughts. I don't know. Okay. Too early. All right. So. Lay it on us. Lay it on us. No, no, wait. I got. I want to take one more guess. I want to take one more I guess. I need him to take one more guess. I want to take one more guess. All right. Uh, were, were they were they ever on TV a lot? Yes. So Saturday Night Live. No. Well, okay. As a guest. This is twenty fucking. But they had, so they had their own show. Yes. Ooh. Not Bill Cosby. But it did. Could you shoot me over the fan? I, I decided I don't want to go in the fan. Who was it? Who was it? Jerry Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Oh Jerry Seinfeld was originally considered for the comedian bot, and then Julianne Moore and Gwyneth Paltrow were considered for Monica. And honestly, I'm, I'm I think they did Frances O'Connor. She's amazing in this movie, and I haven't seen her in anything else really. She was in the Bedazzled remake with Brendan Fraser. She's in a lot. Of, she's in a lot of stuff. Yeah, she is. But she never but really. She has the clout that those other two have. She never really hit like yeah. But I I would still love to see what Julianne Moore might have done with this. That might have. I think she's the only other person I could think of that would, like really would have went for the break. I don't think I don't, I don't see Gwyneth guys. Paltrow doing this. I don't want to see Gwyneth Paltrow doing this. I guess is what I'm saying. But <laughs> still, Frances O'Connor. Just I remember this was the performance that put her on the map for me because of watching her. Yeah. It, it and, and also this was released in summer like this was a june movie 
Like I and now I now I need to go back and look at what was coming out at that time because I love whenever we pull pull, pull up a movie like this, I really like looking at what was out around that time and what sort of what was the competition for AI and uh let's see okay this film opened on june i want to say 25th june 29th 2001 okay because i I mean besides the fact that it's just a a personal sort of hobby of mine context is everything when it comes to the opposition at the movies because counter-programming is always a thing and you never know if, you know, maybe AI was released because they're trying to counter a movie like, say, The Fast and the Furious, which this movie beat in its second weekend. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, at the movies, this weekend, uh, we're going to look at the top 10 for, for June 29, 2001. At number 10 was Swordfish. Uh, number 9 was Crazy Beautiful. Number 8, Pearl Harbor. Number 7, Shrek. Six, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Number five, Baby Boy. Number four, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. Number three, Dr. Doolittle 2. And then number two, uh, The Fast and the Furious Family Style. Fast. What? The first, the first Fast and Furious. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's so funny. Yeah. I mean, the, this is furious. the second week of Fast and Furious. And while that was a word of mouth hit, you know, obviously it was, it, it's still needed time to sort of yeah. get a clue well, under it i mean in an arg- there's an argument you could make that that whole series got going in f5 i think oh yeah of- yeah because yeah. we were really sort of touch and go between the first four while they were fun <laughs> right right, but right five was the one where it's like unify the characters start building yeah. the universe and that was like marvel around the time of marvel but yeah, I. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a unique, it's such a unique movie, and it is, and it's, just, it's really bizarre. I'm so happy you gave me that fact because that just makes it even more strange. Yeah, <laughs> to think that Steven Spielberg could beat a Fast and Furious movie at the box office with an original IP that was not something right. he was adapting, and it, it just the more that we talk about this. AI really is this sort of diamond in the rough, this sort of oddity in, in the Spielberg canon. And I really liked that it was because of the fact that he was sort of paying homage to a, a fallen mentor, but also he like wrote it himself. Like he doesn't, I don't think he does that anymore. Like he very rarely has written his own films and he just got so personal with this that it just still sits there pristine in my eyes. And again, I would love to just get my hands on every sort of design document and treatment. I want to find out, like, I want to learn about the, the GI uh, Joe and the GI character, which was turned into Gigolo Joe. Like, I think he wanted a, a Kubrick had a soldier bot at one point. Hmm. Just it's, it's something that, I love it for what it is, but I want to learn so much more about it. Oh, it's it's so good. Come come away, oh human child, to the waters in the wild with fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. An amazing well, cameo by Robin Williams too. Like yeah. again, he has Robin Williams, Chris Rock, Meryl Streep in this movie, like playing these onesie twosie cameos, and just that's clout, but also that's probably friendship. 
Like, it's not just, I want to be in a Spielberg movie. It's okay, Steven. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to do this. <laughs> Matt, are you still well, there? I, are you talking to me? Cause I was, I was going to about to say something. Okay. Cause your, your camera's frozen. Oh, sorry. Well, forget about the camera because it's probably time for us to now start heading down the road anyway, while we can go search for all those things and get them together for you, Mike. But before we do that, uh, Luke, where can people find your film? Yes, so you're going to want to, um, I would go through Instagram and look up at Stamps Movie. So, uh, and we have a Twitter too. So look up at Stamps Movie and you'll see the link in the bio to see the film there. Something happened with the SEO of Vimeo, like you can't really Google a film on, on Vimeo anymore. And mm. I don't know if it has to do something corporate shenanigans, I don't know. Probably um, algorithms X, X X gonna give it to you. Yeah, X gonna give it to you. I am sure, sorry, so. I have belittled your film with a pop culture reference. No, no, no. Uh, that was something we we were joking about that on the set, and I loved how you started this talking about. I like how Matthew kind of commented that you know <laughs> mention of this danger of your ex could actually be your you know this person you were form formerly in a relationship with. So um, it has it hopefully has its own archetypal meaning that that word <laughs> or that letter. Uh, the Stamp Collector, ladies and gentlemen, it is on Vimeo, uh, written, I believe, uh, co-written, produced, directed by Luke Momo, our esteemed guest today. Uh, oh, wait, I, I see a hand raising. Uh, yeah. I knew, I knew how to, I knew how to signal you. No, no, go <laughs> ahead, Mike. You, you can absolutely finish up. I just noticed the button. I'm like, oh, good. I can raise my hand just in case. Uh, yeah, but, uh, writer, director, producer, Luke Momo with his new short film, The Stamp Collector coming out on Vimeo tomorrow uh, tomorrow, at the time of this recording, but it should be by the, I'm sorry, 12121, a palindrome. Ooh, you've got that matrix resurrections thing going. I like it. I love that. Are they 11th? No, they're 21st. Okay. So they're 122121. Yeah. Another palindrome. 12121. It's actually fully mirrored. You beat them by 10, by 20 days, man. Keanu Reeves is going to come to your doorstep now. And is like, sir, whoa but and Mike, where can people find us ah people can find us on tiktok and instagram at overdue rental show on twitter at rentals overdue on facebook at overdue rentals and if you want to send us suggestions bounties for an antique collector granny that you want to knock off for fifteen thousand dollars uh not not that was just a reference to the movie please fbi don't come after me but again if you want to send us recommendations uh, love notes, uh, treatises on how you came to see AI, overdue rentals at gmail.com. You can also find us uh, as a show wherever you get your fine podcasts Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, just wherever you subscribe. Please do subscribe to us, rate and review so the retail counter, rental counter can stay open and uh, we can talk about fine films like this with. Gentlemen like Luke. Luke, I am so glad we got you on the show. I really am hoping for a feature or maybe another short on this because once that case opened, I needed to know why. I needed to know what. Thank you. Yes, I'm uh I'm gonna give it to you. X gonna give it to you. X gonna give it to you. That's the secret. <laughs> the car the stamp collector two, X gonna give it to you. <laughs> and with that, also go make sure to cross AI off your overdue rentals list. Luke, thanks again for joining us. Thank you too. Thank you too so much. I'm, and um, I'm waving at the camera. Yes. <laughs> AI forever. <laughs>